Nuggets and the Heat will begin the NBA Finals on Thursday night. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports by Dan Favale of Bleacher Report. And Dan, good to have you back on the show. And let's go back to Heat Celtics Game 7 on Monday night. Uh, which is more accurate, the Heat won or the Celtics lost? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I still think it's the Heat won. I think when you've looked at how they've defended all playoff and the, the steady playoffs and the steadiness with which they've been able to play, and yes, they shot what feels like unsustainably high clips from three throughout that series, but they've been able to do that in earlier playoff rounds. I think you look at how their supporting cast, even if it's different guys, have stepped up on a night-to-night basis. Um, with that said, if you're Boston, um, you've lost that series in the sense that you never should have been down 3-0 in the first place in this situation where you need an all-time tip in to force a Game 7, um, and you have a bad game from Jalen Brown where he commits eight turnovers and it absolutely cripples you, or you're dealing with a Jaylen, uh, Jason Tatum injury, or you're worried about Rob Williams. Um, he was throwing up apparently during Game 7. They put themselves in a hole, and I think the method by which they got there, especially when you look at you know, the, the latter, you know, the first game, the third game, um, the methods by which they got there, you can definitely argue that they were the ones that really helped dig themselves that own hole, which ultimately cost them the series and their season. Who should have been the finals, uh, the Eastern Conference finals, MVP, Butler or Caleb Martin? I do think when you look at that series specifically and how much Butler struggled at times offensively, uh, it would have been Caleb Martin for me. I do think the pressure that Jimmy Butler puts on defenses opens up things for everyone else, including Caleb Martin. I also do think, and while it's not necessarily framed in this light, that I don't think we fully grasp co- collectively how much these conference finals MVPs are really looking at the entire postseason at large. Uh, I don't know whether it should be treated like that, but I do feel like these are almost sort of the you know, the, the conference playoffs awards rather than the awards for, for just that series. And so when you look at the entire Miami Heat body of work, it pretty clearly would have been Jimmy Butler. But I do think, you know, and you could even see it in the way that the votes panned out where Caleb Martin got four of nine, so came very close to winning it, that if you're looking at just that series um, and what he did on defense, I know people harp on his offense, but Caleb Martin guarded Jason Tatum a lot. Um, he was excellent when the Heat were running zone. He was excellent when he needed to switch. Um, then it probably should have been him for the series. The Celtics, you know, with Jason Tatum hobbling, they needed Jalen Brown. You mentioned he had the eight turnovers. And now he's eligible for a contract extension. Do the Celtics have little choice here but to extend his contract? Yeah. I mean, they could look at the trade market for him, of course, but I don't necessarily know how you improve your team by getting rid of Jalen Brown, who was, you know, the second-best player on a team that made it to the finals last year, the second-plus player on a team that was good enough to make it to Eastern Conference Finals Game 7 this year. Uh, I think the number is fascinating because I, I do think, looking back at last year's playoffs, some of the moments this year, how he hasn't necessarily progressed too much as a ball handler or a creator for, for everybody else. Um, does he get the full Supermax, or is there a number where, you know, we saw it with Rudy Gobert, for instance, where, yeah, you get an extension, it's a massive extension, but it's not the full Supermax. And so I do think Boston's kind of in a situation where unless they're bowled over by a prospective trade or there's just a, a player that becomes available where they're willing to include Jalen Brown and, and other assets um, to go out and get him, I think you have to continue to float this core because it's still really good. And then you make your focus trying to fuss and fiddle more so on the margins than making any wholesale changes. Speaking of the so-called core here, Al Horford, 
not nearly as good in the 2023 playoffs as he was in 2022 when they went to the finals. Should Horford have a lesser role next season? I think just naturally as he gets older, that's probably ideal. But he is very core to Boston's identity. When you look at, especially under Joe Mazzulla, they want to play five out. And I do think that as good as Robert Williams the third, he's not as reliable from a health perspective. And there are certain aspects that aren't good for him. And they do have Grant Williams on the roster who can do a lot of the same things in theory that Al Horford can, but he's smaller. He doesn't hold up as well on switches, and he does feel like more of an an offensive wild card. And so the Boston's front line, I think even more so, a lot of people are looking at this Jason Tatum-Jalen Brown pairing or wondering whether the Celtics need to go out and get some sort of tour general or offensive organizer to run at point guard. I think their front court's actually more fascinating because of the injury history with Rob Williams III and just his, his limitations in some matchups and Grant Williams going into restricted free agency and, of course, Al Horford just getting a little older, and his aging curve has been great for now. But when you when you look at how old he actually is, how many games he's played, how many years he's been in the league, um, you could see that all of a sudden taking a nosedive at any moment. And so they they might need to kind of fortify their their center, their their big man rotation, and different in addition to all these other concerns that I think people have. You mentioned Joe Mazzulla. It's been you know, there was all kinds of bizarre circumstances of you know right before the season starts almost he gets the gig and the coaching staff was you know not what you would probably expect and there's already speculation they'll have a different coaching staff next year. I don't remember too many teams that have made a made a conference final that I wondered during the run to the conference final. What are they doing? <laughs> um, is it is it a no brainer? No pun intended, I guess. That do they need to act, you know help him on the coaching staff? Yeah, I, I do think it is kind of a no brainer. And also, yeah, you know, this was his first year as a head coach, and it was a um, a job that he ostensibly wasn't prepared to take. And so you're thrusting him into this situation where he's learning on the fly didn't have as much time to repair, and that he wasn't allowed to assemble his own staff, which not only did you lose, suspend, and then ultimately dismiss your head coach in Mayudoka, but you lost Will Hardy, who was key to that assistant staff, um, who went to the Utah Jazz and is now their head coach. And so I think this year of experience will be valuable for him, um, knowing that he's actually going to be the head coach next year unless they're going to fire him. They did extend him, though that's going to help and just being able to assemble a staff where, yeah, maybe he'll have his, his input, but the team can do a better job of surrounding him with um, more veterans on the sidelines. I think that just goes a long way, but I also wouldn't, even if they weren't to make any changes and we know that they will, I, I don't think I, we can understate how important it is. Okay. Like, okay, now he's been there. Now he's done this. This guy was only 34. And so he's technically younger um, than, you know, many players in this league right now. That's going to, I think, ultimately help and if we start next season and we're still seeing some of the, the same concerns or maybe don't understand some of their rotations or his use of timeouts then we can have a larger discussion about it but I just think under the circumstances he probably needs to be given uh, a little bit more runway than he has and I understand why he hasn't been because the Celtics are really good and they're, they're trying to win now but I do think that confluence of factors absolutely matters when talking about his future. Okay, on to the finals we go here. The Nuggets are yeah, at some places four to one favorites to win the series. Does the ten days off uh, factor into handicapping the series? Yeah, I'm sure it does because the Heat are 
you know, they're not only coming off a grueling seven-game series with Boston, but they were banged up to begin with. You look at no Tyler Hero, no Victor Oladipo, um, and they're even more banged up now. I mean, Bam Adebayo looked kind of rough on offense by the end of that Boston series. Jimmy Butler really looks like he's gutting it out. Gabe Vincent um, missed, I think it was game five against Boston, and then mm-hmm. he's, so he's dealing with some stuff in game six and seven. Um, if you're the Nuggets, you have to feel pretty good about coming not only well-rested, but now you have home court advantage, and the Heat are getting a little bit longer layoff than they had in between games of the Eastern Conference Finals, but they've just been playing essentially every other day for so long, and I think that um, you know Nikola Jokic is one of the better players that when you're talking about missing, you know, going through an entire offseason, it takes him a little while to get into game shape during training camp. He's just one of the better stars in this league at conserving himself, and we've seen him come out and play like gangbusters after all-star breaks, um, and so you can liken this to that, and I think just to get that time off in general to unplug, um, to, to game plan, even though you didn't know who your opponent was until the last minute, you still knew it was one of those two teams. I think that ends up helping them a great deal. Denver has a size slash length advantage in almost every position in this series. Uh, does Kevin Love play more, or would the Nuggets just screen and roll him to death? Yeah, you know, uh, this was a fascinating question that. Uh, I was discussing with a colleague yesterday, actually, and the honest-to-God answer is I don't know. I think I would expect the Heat to continue to skew smaller, so you're not maybe you don't see Kevin Love at all, or you see very little of him and Cody Zeller because you want some of those bigger bodies to use their fouls on Nikola Jokic. Um, if Miami is going to play a lot of Denver, which I think Denver is busted up, but if that's the route they go then maybe you can try and get away with a little bit extra of a Kevin Love. But I do think that ultimately the the Nuggets are going to dictate the style of play in this series. And I think that's going to wind up necessitating that Miami continue to run uh, on the smaller ends, where maybe we even see some Haywood Highsmith minutes at center. And there will be games, like we saw at the end of that Boston series, where, okay, Kevin Love didn't play, Cody Zeller played two minutes, so I do think that by series end, we could see some of that just because of how Denver's offense is run and what Miami needs to do defensively. And so I, I think ultimately I could see it going a different way because it is Coach Bo and he'll try anything. But unless we see some foul trouble um, in the rest of Miami's front court to Bam Adebayo, I don't know that we see a ton of um, Kevin Love or Cody Zeller in this series. You're reading my mind here because my next question is, is Bam going to be able to stay out of foul trouble in this series against Jokic? Uh, only if he's probably not guarding Jokic. I mean, if you're like, if you want to try and pull, um, and that would, I guess, be the the thought of if you played him with Kevin Love, is can you just try and throw Kevin Love on Jokic and have Bam roam around, and that should limit his foul trouble and also enable him to pitch in when you look at all these other pet off-ball actions that Denver runs. I just wouldn't suggest it because I think that, you know, Bam out of bio is going to have a tough time defending Jokic one-on-one. Kevin Love is going to get absolutely roasted and I don't think you know where the Lakers could throw a LeBron James on him or a Rui Hachimura or maybe even a Jared Vanderbilt he don't have that player I don't think you want to throw Jimmy Butler or Kayla Martin on a Nikola Jokic and so I think that's the dilemma that they're facing and I, I think Bam is good enough to maybe stay out of foul trouble but he's not good enough in those those one-on-one situations to slow down what Jokic is is going to do to do best. And when he puts the ball on the floor, he will be able to draw fouls. You could throw two at the ball to help out Bam, but then Nicole Jokic is absolutely going to dissect 
um, the rest of your defense by making the, the right and probably least obvious pass. I think that's why, but I don't think that's why. We all know why that, that's why he's not double teamed as often as other stars in this league because of the reads he's able to make out of those situations. Can Miami play zone with some success against Denver? He certainly had some success against that when they played uh, with that when they played against uh, against Boston the last few weeks, a couple weeks here. I I honestly don't know. I would we know though, and uh, you know, Caitlin Cooper from Basketball she wrote had tweeted this out after the Celtics Heat game seven. Denver had the best offense when going up against zone in the regular season, and yeah. they have the shooters to where if they're not able to cut through it. They can make shots, but they also just have the off-ball movement and the passing when you look at Nikola Jokic and the ability for him to just kind of bust through the center of things um, to take down those approaches. And it's also why they probably didn't see zone played against them all that much during the regular season. And so I don't think it can become this crutch like it basically was for Miami in the, the Eastern Conference Finals. However, we've seen Jamal Murray go through peaks and valleys from the outside. Um, we've seen Aaron Gordon be hesitant to, to take jumpers. We've seen even Michael Porter Jr. struggle from the field. Um, we know that Bruce Brown is, you know, if you're going to be able to cut off his, his rim pressure, he is not the steadiest three-point shooter. So I could see a pathway where if Denver's supporting cash isn't necessarily making their jumpers, and if you are able to cut off some of their path to the basket and bust up some of those actions before Nicole Jokic or Jamal Murray is able to get them the ball, um, there are games, I guess, where they could struggle. I just think because of everything else they do and just like this symphony of things that are happening in the half court on offense for them, I don't know that they're a team that you can really um, use zone against uh, to the up-team's degree. So I'm sensing that you like Denver in the series. Uh, if that's accurate, how many games do you think it might go? So I picked Denver in five. And I just think that they're the significantly better team. And it just comes with a caveat that, you know, Heat fans, Heat analysts can just point towards the past three series and they don't even have to use conventional logic on the court and say, well, look what we've done. And I can't argue against them because this team has been so inexplicable for most of this postseason that I could see something wild happening. But I think when you look on paper, when you start to dig into how these two teams are playing, when you start to dig into the states of their rosters and the rotations and the individual matchups, yeah, there'll be an inclination to say, well, they have Jimmy Butler, and look at how well Kayla Martin is playing. Could they push it to seven? Could they actually win? But he arguably need Kayla Martin to be even better than he was in the Eastern Conference Finals to keep up with this version of the Nuggets. And so I'm pretty bullish on Denver, not just winning this series, but winning it in fairly short fashion. All right, Dan, rapid fire here, some off uh, away from the finals things. Uh, let's start on the coaching front. The Suns, uh, Nick Nurse, according to multiple reports, chose the Sixers instead of the Suns. The Suns apparently down to Doc Rivers, Frank Vogel, and former Monty Williams assistant coach Kevin Young. Any preference there? I think I'd probably just go with who Devin Booker and Kevin Durant approve of most, which feels like it's, Kevin Young at this point, I will say that if you're getting rid of Monty Williams and you end up hiring one of his assistants or just pivoting to Doc Rivers or Frank Vogel, um, like you said, Nick Nurse may have pulled out of that gig, but that just feels like a pretty uninspiring outcome overall to me when you're looking at these final candidates. I would agree with that. Okay, Nick Nurse goes to Philadelphia. Adrian Griffin goes to Milwaukee. Uh, apparently that was Giannis's preferred choice. Uh, your your thoughts of Nurse to Philly and Griffin to Milwaukee? 
The Griffin decision shocked me a little bit, but I think if Giannis wanted him and Griffin has been named as that sort of one of those next coaches up for a while, I kind of understand the dice roll, especially, again, coming back to Giannis. And the nurse in Philly is interesting because I do think it kind of um, intimates that, okay, maybe James Harden is coming back because why do you take that job, especially over there are reports he pulled out of Milwaukee and then there's reports he pulled out of Phoenix. So why do you take um, – Philly's job over any one of those, if there's any real uncertainty about Harden. I am just interested when you look at how much he likes to play his top guys, how that winds up bearing if you do have James Harden getting older and then a still fairly injury-prone Joel Embiid. But I think that hire, maybe it's probably the most fascinating one that has been made all offseason so far. Okay, last up, the Warriors' Bob Myers, I think probably expected, at least by some, stepped down. Where's he land, and uh, is Mike Dunleavy the next dude in San Francisco with the Warriors? Yeah, to answer the second part first, I think that it'll be sort of this joint effort between Kirk Lacob and, and Mike Dunleavy. Those will be the two loudest and most powerful voices in the front office. For Bob Myers, I honestly don't expect him to land anywhere, at least not immediately. Um, there aren't a ton of openings right now, and I think this is very much a decision that was sort of rooted in the next opportunity maybe being something that's not even related to running a basketball team. There's been people who've mentioned private equity. Maybe he gets into the ownership, or maybe he just takes the beat off and then ends up, you know, with a different organization in a couple of years. But next season specifically, I would be fairly surprised if he winds up being employed or, or running um, another team's front office. Dan, always good talking to you. Fountain of information. Thanks much. No problem. Thanks for having me as always. Take care. All right, Dan Favale, Bleacher Report. Read all his work.